So we've been going through a sermon series uh, of favorite passages from people in the congregation. And because we ask for people's favorite uh, passages, um, just kind of random and just for fun, um, we didn't ask anybody to sign their name beside it, um, whose passage or who, who, who made a suggestion of the passage. So that's an interesting concept that I have, is I have no idea um, what passage or who chose the passage, rather, and why that person may have chosen the specific passage that they did. So, but as with all the passages, I, I just find them intriguing and interesting to study. And today's passage is no different. The title in the New International Version of the Bible is, is called True Fasting, which I suspect might be the idea behind choosing this passage. And as we read in a moment, verses 3 to 6, um, we'll be talking about fasting. However, when we also start to include verses 1 and 2, which I will do, um, these, focus, these verses focus on our worship. And so today we're going to be focusing on worship. It doesn't mean that we're going to be ignoring fasting because fasting is one kind of worship. It's one way that we worship. And the Jews, they were committed to observing one major fast day in a year. And that was the annual Day of Atonement. You can read more about that in Leviticus, Leviticus 16. And there were other minor fast days, and they were permitted to fast personally any time that they desired. But fasting is to be in the context of worship. Fasting is worship. Fasting, like worship, is to point our attention towards God and what He desires. It's not about what we desire. And so the Jewish people, they did fast, fast more often. And as they did, they complained that nobody seemed to notice what they were doing. So our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 58. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 from Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it not only for bowing one's head like a reed? Or is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of fasting, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call, and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. 
If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairs of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God Almighty, we come again before you on this morning of worship, a morning of gathering in your presence as your people, as one body. And we are thankful for this opportunity. We are thankful for your words that we are able to read even from uh, the Old Testament thousands of years ago that still ring true for us today. So Lord, we thank you for Isaiah 58 and the prophet and for your spoken word of the Lord. Lord, bless the proclamation of your word this morning. It may enter into our hearts and, and our, into our minds, into our bodies. It not just stay with us here in this place, but may it live with us throughout the week and throughout our, all our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, what I have here is this uh, lovely-looking plant. And for those who have a green thumb or maybe not such green a thumb. Maybe you have a plant like this or other plants in your home as well. And this plant, as you can see, is firmly rooted into the pot. The leaves are rather green. The flowers are blooming quite well. Except that there's only one thing, and I suspect you know that already, there's one thing that makes this plant separate from other plants is that this plant, as good as it looks, is fake. But it looks good. I would say anyways, and I'm suspecting from where you're sitting, it looks good too. And no matter how you look at this plant, from whatever angle, from wherever you are seated, this plant will continue to look good. And it's still not real. It's still fake. And as a fake plant, yeah, it'll look good in somebody's windowsill or up here on the stage. It'll even thrive in a dark closet. It would even bring joy to its owner and probably to the whole family. But it still doesn't change. It doesn't grow. Biologically, it cannot produce any oxygen and there's no seeds that will reproduce. It can't be used for food. It's not even good for compost. You can't really even enjoy taking care of it. Unless you like dusting. Because that's the best it can do is collect more dust. And eventually the owner may even get tired of it. And they'll drop it off at the local thrift store. A fake plant will never develop into anything further. It remains the same. Today's passage from Isaiah 58 begins by talking about faking or false behavior. And this passage refers to the fasting habits of the Jewish people. And the people of Israel were faking when it came to their fasting, when it came to their worship. They seemed eager to, as it says, to know God's ways and to seek God out. But that's just what it appeared to be. And in reality, it was all false. 
The people of Israel were false worshipers. They were like this fake plan and looked good on the outside. Attendants at the, ta- at the temple, they had bowed heads, they had sackcloth and ashes, but that's all that there was. The people went to the temple and they even obeyed God's laws. They fasted and appeared to seek the Lord. But again, their worship was just an outward show. And their hearts were far from God. The people came together for fasting and for worship because it was the popular thing to do. When this happened, their worship was false. It appeared that they were very religious. But what was their relationship like with God? What was their relationship like with God's people? It appears that the people were just kind of playing church. They were gathering together, but their worship practices displeased God. And their desire was to not glorify God, but to try to win the favor of God. And we read in verse 3, Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? It's like the people were whining to God, Hey God, we're doing all this religious stuff, and you're not paying any attention to us. God, here we are. And they wanted God to notice all that they were doing and be rewarded for doing it. And they were desperately trying to get God's attention. And they did get his attention. God had Isaiah raise his voice and declare to the people their rebellious nature. The people only worshiped God during the allotted time. And it was not true worship. They failed to see that worshiping God extends beyond any designated time. Worship to God extends way beyond the pew. Worship extends into all areas of life and at all times and with many different people. So Isaiah is proclaiming words from the Lord that worship is not about looking religious and being religious. Worship is about being relational. And so God is, is calling his people to stop trying to look religious and start being relational. Love God, love his people at all times. No longer doing what is fake. Even if it looks good. Worship as is fasting is not a means to an end. It's an opportunity to be in community with our God. With his people. It's an opportunity to discern together God's will, not only for ourselves, but more importantly for the body, for the church. What is God's desired future for his people, his church? So worshiping God is more than just outward observance. It's more than just being at church or making it look good before God and others. Worshiping God is inward obedience and submission to the Lord. True worship is entering into God's presence without any masks on and coming open and honest and living out our worship throughout the week. True worship is entering with hope and the knowledge that God will change us and he will transform us. Unlike a fake plant, That we will grow more and become more like Christ. And his desired outcome for our life. And also for the church. 
This passage is challenging us to ask ourselves how we come to worship. Are we religious? Are we fake worshipers? And if we're truly honest with ourselves, and more importantly, honest with God, we probably need to confess that there are times that we are fake. For some, we gather together on Sunday morning just to get it done and over with. For others, Sunday mornings might only be meaningful because it's tradition. And it's something we do and always have done. And that's okay. But what does the rest of the Sunday look like? And what does the rest of the week look like? And that's what this passage in Isaiah is talking about. How do you enter into worship? And how does that worship enter into you? And impact your worship the rest of the week? How do you leave the worship service? Do you leave the service and all that was said and done is now kind of behind you? And it's basically forgotten? Or maybe it's not forgotten and what is remembered is all that didn't go according to your preference. In fact, you claim to be religious like the Jews and yet fight and quarrel and bicker right after you've worshipped. Or you kind of float in your mind the things that have gone wrong and you share that with other people. That Betty didn't dress properly for church. Or there weren't enough hymns or songs or too many verses. And we drive home and we complain about the worship service. We do that. I do that. That we've gone through the motions. But we didn't allow the Spirit to change us through this time of worship. We kind of just left worship in the pews. Now the worship service, gathering together as God's people, is an important part of our lives. And if we complain about things, it's probably because it's important. But we still do so with the wrong heart. And coming to worship, as it is important, we need to stress the importance of coming to Sunday morning worship. And not out of duty or tradition, but out of obedience, out of gratitude. Because we want to. We want to celebrate. We want to celebrate what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Last week we heard a sermon that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. True worship is when we gather together to celebrate Jesus. And we celebrate His crucifixion. We celebrate His resurrection. And if you leave worship with nothing, it is time to assess your heart. True worship not only consists in the proper rituals, but also more so, as the scripture passage says, in the practices of justice and righteousness in our daily life. That's because God doesn't call us to be religious. He calls us to be relational. And if we claim to worship God in all that he has done for us, all that he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and then not live out that worship in our lives, God's calling this fake. So again, this passage is referring to worship and fasting. But it incorporates a strong sense of justice into our worship as well. 
And so as we read through this passage, we go through this passage, it's in verse 3, where people are challenged not to exploit the worker. That's calling everybody to be fair employers. Verse 4 calls us to not leave worship with quarrels and strife. I think in many churches, council meetings would look quite differently if people wouldn't leave with strife. Verses 6 to 7, the people are called to set the oppressed free, to share food with the hungry, clothe the naked, reach out to the homeless. And Jesus repeats these words in the New Testament. You can read it, well, several times in the New Testament. Read Matthew 25, when he says to the righteous people, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. So let us strive to be the righteous people that God calls us to be. Verse 7 goes on to state that we are not to turn away from our own flesh and blood. We're to take care of injustices right in our own families, in our church community, in our community. Work on our internal relationships and remove grudges and extend and receive forgiveness. And that's a tough one to do because that one hits so close to home. And this passage challenges us in our churches, in our businesses and workplaces in our schools, and asks ourselves, what sort of business practices do we implement and value? Or for those in elementary or post-secondary school, do we value others as image bearers of God? Are we a bully, or do we turn blind eye to when there is bullying? See, it's not only about being just, but also stopping injustices, and not walking away when injustices occur. Now, to be honest, we live in a time that it's just so much easier and safer just to stay out of things. But as Christ followers, we are called to more. Verse 12, we're called to be repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. This is speaking of the city of Jerusalem. The city was destroyed when the people went into captivity. And these statements are saying how the people will intentionally be part of being repairers and restorers. And it's providing hope and a vision of restoration. God is a God of hope and he calls his people to see hope and to share that hope. And to partner in that hope as repairers and restorers. So we've got to ask ourselves, what role are we doing in this partnership? God calls us to be engaged in this kingdom work. Not just doing things and going through the motions, but being the people that we are called to be. Becoming people of relationships. Repairs of broken walls and restores of streets and dwellings. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, it's not my season of life, or, or I'm too old, and, or maybe there's a disability that's going on with you. But you can still participate. Everybody needs to participate. And your worship might be more prayer, and making your prayer in line with God's will. And that's important as well, an important part of worship as a community. This week I attended a conference in Toronto, and one of the speakers challenge all the attenders with the question do you love people and he challenged us that many of us probably need to confess that we need to overcome 
what's called people indifference. Basically saying, yeah, whatever, I, I, I love some people, but I don't love others. But God calls us to the ones, to love the ones we love and to love the ones we hate. Love people of different thinking and different behavior and different cultures. Worship God by not just being religious, but being relational and showing justice to all peoples. So true worship is about relationships. <laughs> true worship is about our love for God and his people. God's love for us and his people. True worship is about justice. Throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, uh, a recurring phrase that we'll come across over and over again is one another. Love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, greet one another. And the list goes on. True worship might begin on Sunday morning, but it extends throughout the week. True worship is not just a weekly ritual. True worship is a daily lifestyle. It's not about looking religious, but being responsive to God and being relational to God and his people. And how are we doing in that area of life? Where is it that we need to mend relationships? Where is it that we need to grow relationships? Where is it that we need to create relationships? As we go through this passage of Isaiah, we read in verse 9 that God says, Here am I. In verse 11, that the Lord will guide you always. God will guide you to follow his commands. And if you follow God's will and truly worship him, you will be blessed. On our own, yes, we will have people indifference. Take it or leave it. On our own, we won't be obedient. But people of God, we are not on our own. God is with us. And he will guide us. Always. Not just once in a while. Always. And as we continue on this reading with verse 11, you'll be like a well-watered garden. We'll be like a, a growing plant bearing fruit. We'll be nothing like a fake plant that only looks good and doesn't grow. We'll be growing. Flourishing. Bearing. Reproducing in terms of discipleship. We'll be like a spring whose waters never fail. And love and grace will continually flow from God's people. Justice and mercy will flow from us. So this passage challenges each of us. And it doesn't provide us an easy task by any means. We're being challenged to grow in our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to grow in our relationship with God's people. We're being challenged not to simply be religious, but to be relational. To be a true follower of Jesus Christ that we are called to be. What starts with corporate worship, gathering together as God's people, continues with service throughout God, service through God's guidance and His Spirit. What starts today is the gathering of God's people for worship, celebrating what God has done for us through His, his Son's death and on the, on the cross, continues with scattering God's people throughout the week through worship. As we come together, and be restored on Sunday mornings, we leave being restorers of our communities, schools, workplaces, and families 
from Monday to Saturday and not excluding Sunday. You see, our God has given us the greatest example for us to imitate. That is his son, Jesus Christ. So I close off with these words from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, 1-2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. God loves his people, and he commands his people to love God and to love one another. Again, because of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, we respond out of gratitude and thanksgiving and celebration. Jesus is the perfect repairer of broken walls, the perfect restorer of streets and dwellings, and he calls us to imitate him through our worship, through our relationships with him and with one another. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, gracious God, merciful God, God of the broken and sinners and God of justice, as we begin our journey to the cross during this Lent season, we confess that we have fallen short in our worship and in our justice. So forgive us for where we have fallen short in our worship on Sundays. Forgive us for where we've fallen short in our worship throughout the week. Forgive us for where we are more concerned about our own selves and not of others in our families or church or community in this world. Through your Son, forgive us for all our sins and make us clean through your grace. Through your Spirit, work in us to be people of repair and restoration, partnering with you in restoring and repairing relationships that are broken and growing relationships that need growing and partnering with you in restoration of this world. It's only in Jesus' name that we can pray this. Amen.